We'll take your Bibles this morning and I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. And we want to step back into our study today of this book, Ephesians chapter 5. And we want to look at verses 22, 23, and 24. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Is this mic too loud, especially for you guys in the front? It is. Is there any way to cut the mic back a little bit? It's just a little too loud. It's blowing these guys away in the front. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that, Dusty. So good to have such good deacons. I tell you, our deacons put the deacon in deacons. I mean, they really do it. So I, I appreciate them so much. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. The Apostle Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. You know, I was thinking as I've looked over this the last two weeks, really when we come to this, our spirit really needs to be right when we come to this issue of marriage. You think about how the world talks about marriage. And the world, when the world talks about marriage, when the world talks about men and women, inevitably, their attitude is wrong in, in many different ways. As I thought about this, uh, one of the ways in which, and I know this will be familiar to you, that the world thinks about marriage in a wrong way is oftentimes they think of it in the realm of just levity. In other words, when you hear lost people talk about marriage, many times it's, it's just in the form of a joke. Uh, that marriage is just sort of a, a joke to talk about marriage, to talk about husbands and wives. It's always just try to be funny about it and to talk about these things in a funny, lighthearted manner. And sadly, some of that is probably because they're trying to cover a, a sad heart when it comes to marriage. Other times it may be to cover over the fact that there are problems in marriage, and quite frankly, they really don't have solutions to that. They don't have answers to the problems. And sometimes the fact that they're lighthearted about marriage just sort of reflects the issue that they just don't take marriage seriously. Marriage is just not taken seriously in our, in our day and age in which we live. And then you think of another way, another wrong attitude that they have, not only one of levity, but oftentimes there is one of despair. How many times have you heard people talk about marriage and there is a sense of despair, there's a sense of despondency, there's a sense in which, okay, if you're going to get married, you just better get ready for it. You're just going to have a bunch of problems. That's what marriage is. Mar marriage is just a, a hard time. So what we do is, is we want to get married because we want certain things out of marriage, but be that as it may, you better get ready because marriage is just one long enduring relationship of hard times. Some will even describe marriage as just out and out misery, but yet it's a necessary evil in order to get what you want out of marriage. That's sometimes how the world speaks about marriage. But whether it's levity or whether it's despondency, usually 100% of the time when you hear the world speaks about marriage, 
it speaks about it in the sense of partisanship. In other words, it's, it's, a, it, it's a fight, it's a debate, it's a contest between men and women, men versus women, women versus men. And that is often the attitude in which marriage is discussed out in the world. This attitude, that it's, it's a struggle, it's, it's one against the other. And so I think we need to realize, even before we begin to look at this this morning, that we need to realize that the Christian spirit about marriage, the Christian attitude about marriage, is totally different than the world's attitude. Totally different. First of all, we can approach these matters not with, with a joking attitude, but we can approach these matters with a serious mind. Why? Because these are, these are very sober matters. The Lord is serious about marriage. The Lord is serious about our relationship with the person with whom we are married. And so, therefore, we ought to be serious about marriage. We ought to not just talk about marriage in a joking way all the time. The Lord is serious about it. We should be serious about it. And he even examines us on these issues. He has instructed us on these issues. He leads us in these issues of marriage. He guides us in these issues in the direction that we should go. And so we ought to take them very seriously. Also, we need to realize that all of our relationships, including marriage, I would say especially marriage, ought to reflect the fact that we have been made a new creation. If you're a believer, you are a new creation in Christ. So therefore, because you are a new creation, your marriage does not have to be miserable. You do not have to have despondency about your marriage. Your marriage does not have to be one of enduring difficulty. We can have a marriage relationship that is peaceful. We can have a marriage relationship that is joyful. We can have a marriage relationship that has real peace, real joy, and real purpose in it. Because we're saved. Because we know Christ. And so we don't approach marriage like the world does and just sort of assume it's got to be a miserable thing. No, that is not true in Christ. Not true. But one thing for certain, especially as we come to verses 22 through 24, that we have to put away is we have to put away this issue of partisanship. We have to put this issue of man versus woman away here. We need to realize that men and women, as we gather here together in this place, we are on the same ground. That if we are Christians, if we are believers, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, today we all sit before our Heavenly Father and His Word, and we are waiting His instruction from His Word. I want to tell you, as we get into these verses, this is not going to be men versus women. This is not going to be women versus men. There is no battle here. There is no party, men or women, who need to be defended here. What do we seek to do with these verses here? It's very plain, it's very simple. We just want to know the truth, don't we? We just simply want to know the truth. We want to know the truth. And whatever the Lord has to say to women, that is what godly women want to hear. That is what godly women want to do. And whatever the Lord has to say to men, that is what godly men want to hear. And that is what godly men want to do and want to be and want to live out. So before we even get started this morning, 
let's just make sure that our attitudes are right before we even go into this because the fundamental baseline here is we want to know the truth on these things. We want to know the truth. So what is the truth? What is the truth? So this is what we want to find out over the next few weeks. And so today we want to focus in on the Christian wife. What does the Bible teach about the Christian wife, the believing wife? And so there are three things I want us to look at today from these verses that we've read. The first thing I want you to see with me, and these are listed out in your bulletin if you want to. Well, actually they're not this week, are they? I didn't get them in time. <laughs> Usually they're listed in your bulletin. This week they're not. So you're just going to have to hang with me and write these down as we go through them. Okay, so the first one is this. The believing wife's responsibility. The believing wife's responsibility. We see it in verse 22. Notice this with me. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I want you to look at your Bibles. Don't look up here. Look at your Bibles because I want you to notice something here. In most of your Bibles, maybe all of them, you'll notice that the words be subject are in italics. They're italicized. What does that mean when you see words italicized like that? It means this, that the words are not in the original Greek text out of which we get our English translation. That's what it means there. It was not written in the New Testament originally. So what this is doing is this is carrying on the truth that was taught in verse 21. Notice verse 21. In verse 21, there's a general principle given there that we are to be subject to one another in the body of Christ. And we realize that God has ordained an order in our relationships, this order here. And this military word in verse 21 that is translated to be subject, it means that we are to align ourselves under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what this is saying is this, we all have God-given roles given to us. And so what we're to do is we are to assume our God-given roles. And he has assigned roles to us in all of our relationships for all of life. And so what do we want to do? We just simply want to step into that. We, we just want to fall into rank underneath that, and we want to live out God's truth, whatever the relationship might be. And so now what he's going to do, he's going to take that general principle that we saw in verse 21. Now he's going to carry it over here into what we see next. And so he says, wives, literally, if you were to read this in the Greek, it would say, wives, to your own husbands. That is what it would say. That's how it literally is in the Greek. And so the idea here is, just as the translators have, have, have supplied this for us, it is wives, be subject to your own husbands. That's why they gave us these words here, to help us with the context, to help us understand. And they were right to do so. So wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That is the one injunction that is given here to the wife. The wife is to submit to her husband. And she is to recognize her husband as the head, to recognize her husband as the authority in the family. And she is to be subject to him. Now right away, and you'll recognize this here, this is a real problem in the world today, isn't it? This very thought, this idea, this is something that, I mean, this just rubs people the wrong way in our day and age. But, but the fact of the matter is this. Listen, you cannot live the Christian life in any respect 
or in any realm if you don't have respect for authority. There's no way you can live the Christian life outside of respecting authority. You just can't do it. You'll notice, for example, when he speaks of each of these three relationships that he deals with after verse 21, and you see him there, he talks about marriage first, then he talks about parents and children, then he's going to talk about employees and employers. You'll notice that in each case, he addresses first the person who is under authority. You see that. Notice he begins with wives in verse 22. And then when he moves on to parents and children in chapter 6, verse 1, he addresses the children first. And then when he moves on to masters and slaves, again, in our day, we would put it as employers and employees, he first of all addresses the slaves. So in each section, he first addresses the person who is under authority. Why does he do that? Because this is a part of God's created order. This is how to live out his order in our relationships. We have to respect authority. We have to. You cannot live in submission to Christ if you don't. And so the wife has to respect the authority of her husband, not because of any superiority on his part and not because of any inferiority on her part, but simply because it's God's will. It is God's design. It is God's plan. And so he's fit the husband for that role. And by the way, this is not the only place where this single responsibility is, is highlighted. By no means is this the only place where it is talked about where the wife is to relate to her husband in this way. But let me share with you another place. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Listen to this. It says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. So in Colossians chapter 3, when he deals with the same relationships, he begins with a wife in the same place. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Be subject to your husbands. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. And it's very interesting, that particular verse, because that particular verse answers the question, okay, Am I supposed to be just subject to my husband so long as he is a Christian? Only because he's a believer? Uh, do, I, do I submit to my husband as long as he loves the Lord and he's showing that he loves the Lord? You know what the answer to that question is? No. The answer to that question is no. There is a submission that is to be given to husbands even if, like this verse said, even if they are disobedient to the word and now there, there are limits to that submission and we'll talk about that in a little bit but still it is true to say that a wife is to be submissive to her husband even if she has a disobedient husband to the Lord that is the wife's responsibility now that means we have to understand this right that means that we have to understand submission what does that mean what does it mean to be submissive and just like we like to often do it 
We like to give the negative and then we like to give the positive. We like to give what it is not and then we like to give what it is. It helps us just to understand it more. So let me start off with the negative this morning. Let's begin first of all with what submission is not. First of all, we can say this, that a wife submitting to her husband is not obedience like a child must give to a parent. Submission is not giving obedience like a child would obey a parent. Some people misunderstood this, and, and, and they almost certainly give this impression here that, and, and some have even taught this amazingly, that a wife is to obey her husband just like a child is to obey a parent. And they would say that. I want to tell you, that is not submission. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Listen carefully to this. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone who is weaker since she is a woman and show her honor, listen to this, as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. How should a husband live with his wife? Not like he's living with a child. No, he should live with his wife as a fellow heir of the saving grace of God that we have experienced. That is how he is to live with her, as a fellow inheritor of all of the riches of Christ. And in fact, the verse says here that we are to grant her honor. We're to grant her honor. So you, won't, you, you can search your Bible in vain to find anything like that where parents are to give that type of honor to their children. It does not speak about that type of relationship when it comes to parents and children. So she's not a child. She's not a, a child to be treated like a child. That's not submission. Second, we can say this. Submission is not her losing her personality or her uniqueness to her husband. That's not submission either. It's not her losing her personality and just being just all drawn up into her husband. Some couples have misunderstood submission in this way. And if you witness how they live out their relationship to one another, it's almost as if the, the wife's personality is just absorbed up into the husband's personality. I mean, she, she has no thoughts of her own. She has no, no expression of her own. She, she really has no real uniqueness of her own. She just sort of follows in absolute silence along behind her husband. And some would call that submission. That is not biblical submission. You know what that is? That is a fleshly counterfeit. That is what that is. Whatever God means for good, you know the devil seeks to come in and he seeks to corrupt it and counterfeit that. And for a wife to lose her personality and for a wife to lose her uniqueness and just sort of be absorbed into her husband and his personality, well, that is not submission. That is not submission. There's something else we can say here, a third thing. Submission is not a wife turning a blind eye to her, her husband's weakness or her, her, her husband's sins. Submission is not her turning a blind eye to where her husband is sinning and where her husband is failing. As a matter of fact, ladies, what has the Lord called you to do? He has called you to be a helpmate to your husband, a helpmate. And that means loving him enough 
so that where there is sin in his life, you are willing to be used by the Lord to help your husband to deal with the sin that is in his life. You are to be a counselor to your husband. And you're to help him. That's one of the things that, that really bothered me way back in the 90s. We had this, this big movement that just took off with men filling up stadiums all across America. This movement called Promise Keepers. And in Promise Keepers, all you heard was accountability, accountability, accountability. Men being accountable to other men. But don't you realize, husbands, that the best accountability partner you will ever have is your wife? Your wife, you, you will never be more accountable than to the one to whom you are married to. The one who lives with you day in and day out, who really knows you. Oh, you can pull the wool over our eyes. We only see you here and there. But no, it's the one who sees you day in and day out, every single day, in your home, as you are. That is the person who can hold you to godly accountability in that sort of fashion, a submissive fashion. So a wife can hold a husband accountable. So what is submission not? It's not obedience like a child. It's not the loss of personality and uniqueness. It's not turning a blind eye to your husband's sins and weakness. So what is it? What is godly biblical submission? It is when Christian wives realize their God-given role with respect to their husband and they joyfully assume that role. That is what submission is. When they recognize their role and they rightfully understand it and they joyfully assume that relationship. So that being the case, what should the relationship be between a husband and a wife, a believing wife? A wife, a Christian wife, we can say this first of all, is to come under the leadership of her husband and she is to support his leadership. To come under the leadership of her husband and support his leadership. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Now, you, you may have thought about this verse when I said that a woman, a wife, is not just simply to obey her husband like a child. Some of you probably thought 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham... You know that verse, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Someone may say, well, what about that verse? It says right there, Satan, uh, Satan, Sarah obeyed Abraham. And it does say that. That is how it's translated. It's translating the Greek word hupakuo, which means to listen to, to attend to, to hear. And so what is a wife to do? What is the relationship to be? The believing wife to her husband. She is to come under the leadership of her husband in the sense that she listens to him. She attends to him. She hears what he has to say. And she supports him in that leadership role. That's what it means to be submissive to your husband. You understand that he's a leader in your family and you support him as a leader in your family and you come alongside of him in that role and you support him in that. And I want to tell you, ladies, one of the ways to test whether or not you're being submiss submissive to your own husband is this. 
Do you really recognize that? Do you really, as you audit how you live with your husband day in and day out, do you really recognize your husband as the leader? And do you rejoice in that? Do you recognize him as the leader? And do you rejoice in that? Do you seek to support him in that? Or do you seek to, to usurp him in that? To just sort of jump over him and just sort of take control and defy him, to defy him anytime he's trying to give any type of leadership to the family. So in your own life, what is the case? What do you do? How do you live out your own life? And hand in hand with that, and I just mentioned it, but let me just underscore this. Second, we can say this. Not only do you support him in his leadership function, but you actually help him carry it out. You help him carry it out. You assist him. You are a helper to him as he is leading the family. You can see this all the way back in the book of Genesis. In fact, let's go back to Genesis, okay? Take your Bibles and go all the way back to Genesis. And I want you to look in Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable, meaning corresponding, meaning, meaning complementing, a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper, there's that word again, suitable for him. Now, note two things here. Number one, the man was made before the woman. He was made before the woman. Before the woman was ever made, the man existed. And number two, the man already had a leadership function over creation here because God is bringing the animals before the man. And what is the man doing? He is giving them names. He is naming the animals. And this very act speaks of the authority that he has over them. It is the authority that God has given to him. So verse 21, notice. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned it to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So the Lord takes this woman from her husband's own side. They literally are bone of the same bone. They are flesh of the same flesh here. And how Adam treats Eve really, in this sense, is how he treats himself. That is how he treats himself. How he takes care of his wife is how he takes care of himself. And she is given to him by God as a helper, as a helpmate, as a helpmeet 
to come alongside of him, to help him as he rules over creation under God. And so together, together, the two of them would rule alongside one another in creation here. Yet, even though she comes alongside him in this role, you still see what? You see headship. You see authority here. Because who gave the woman her name? It was Adam, right? Adam did. He said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Perfect harmony. Perfect harmony in this relationship where there is authority. You see, authority did not come because sin entered into the world. Authority was there before the fall. Authority was there before sin entered into the world. The difference, though was that man perfectly carried out his authority and the woman perfectly responded to it. So there was no conflict. No conflict. What was there? There was perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. And notice this is the pattern even up to our own day. Look at verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Thus God instituted Marriage. Marriage. So she is to come under his authority. She is to respond to his authority. She is to help him carry out his God-given role as the leader, as the leader in the family. And so what this means is she is to be an encourager to him. She is to encourage him. She is to, to comfort him in those hard times that inevitably will come in marriage, that they will share together. She, she shares his life. That is what she's to do. And by the way, husbands, listen to me because everything that I'm saying here today from the Word of God, you need to listen to very, very closely. Why is that? It's because you are to help your wife do this. You are to help your wife fulfill her God-given role. That is what you are to do. And I want to tell you, husbands, when you, when you shut your wife out of your life, when you just shut her out and you don't allow her to be an encouragement to you and you don't allow her to be a comfort to you and you just sort of say, I'm going to man up and I'm going to do this on my own and I'm just going to put her to the sidelines and I don't need to listen to her. I don't need to listen to anyone. I can deal with this. And, and you do not share your life with her and you put her on the outskirts of your life. You don't listen to her counsel. You don't give an ear to what she has to say. I'm telling you this, you are not allowing her to be the helper that God has called her to be in your life. Husbands, you have to help her fulfill her God-given role. Something else we can say in this area. If a wife wants to live out her God-given role toward her husband, she must love him. She must love him. Titus chapter 2, verse 4, the older women are to teach younger women this. Older women in redeeming grace, are you teaching young women this? Listen to this. So that they may encourage their young women to love their husbands, to love their children. You must love your husband. You must love your husband. I know we, we say it many times, but it never hurts to repeat it. Listen, love is not chiefly a feeling. Love is a choice. It is a decision. 
And God commands us to love one another. And so anything God commands the believer to do is in the realm of the believer choosing to do it. That's called obedience. God commands the believer to do something and the believer can, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, choose to obey that. And so the Christian woman is commanded to love her husband. But you say, okay, well, what do I do? I mean, you don't know my husband. He is just not very lovable. You may see a certain face at church, but I see the rest of it, and he's just not very lovable. What am I supposed to do in that regard? You love him. I mean, you just love him. You, you choose to love him. And we have to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to love someone? It means very simply this. You seek God's very best for him. That is what you do. It means, it means that you, you count them as more important than yourself. It means that you're, you're willing to, to, to love him, to live that out toward him, uh, that attitude of love, those thoughts, those attitudes, those deeds that would please the Lord Jesus Christ. You live those out towards him. That is loving him. That is loving him. So you love him. And by the way, as, as offensive as this might sound, in our culture, I'm going to tell you this. You might want to buckle up for this, <laughs> ladies. That is why God made you. That is why God made you, to be a helper to your husband. 1 Corinthians 11, I want to tell you the Apostle Paul does not hesitate to say this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8, For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, listen to this, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. As I look at 1 Corinthians 11, I don't believe that the Apostle Paul is calling for women to wear head coverings and worship in our day and age, although some by conscience would hold to that. And, uh, and, and that, that is fine, I, that accords with the Word of God in that sense. But I believe what this is saying is that that was a cultural expression of the day that reflected a certain principle. And I believe the cultural expression does not carry forward, but I believe the principle does carry forward. And so I believe what this is saying is not so much that women should come into church with a head covering, but it is definitely saying that women should never come into church outside or out from under the headship of their husband. They should not rebel against the headship of their husband. And so the Bible's teaching here in 1 Corinthians 11 even says that, that the angels are offended when they see a lack of respect for authority. Why? Because they themselves are under authority. They are under the authority of God. They know what it means to be under the authority of God. And so when a wife casts off her authority, when she'll have nothing to do with it. This says it is offensive even to the angels to observe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when that is taking place. She's commanded to be under the authority of her husband. She's commanded to love her husband. So the woman was made for the man to be a helper to husband, and yet wonderfully the Scriptures teach us that though there is an authority in the relationship, yes, there is authority, but what is there not? There is not autonomy. 
Authority, yes. Autonomy, no. In other words, I, I am completely dependent upon my wife. She was made for me, and I need her. And 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 I and and April, we won't go into all, all those reasons. You can talk with her after church, but uh, but but our, we need our wives. Verse eleven of First Corinthians eleven says this. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Isn't that beautiful? So here's the relationship. There's authority there, yes. But men, we need our wives. We need our wives. And wives, you need your husband. You need your husband. And this was meant by God to be a beautiful Relationship. It's not the war of the sexes. It's a beautiful relationship. So why is it so hated? Why is it so hated? Why do people hate the idea of submission? Well, I think one reason is because it's been corrupted. It's been corrupted. Submission has been corrupted. The submission we often hear about is not true biblical submission. It's something else. And sometimes I think when people are reacting against that, they're reacting against it rightly because that's not submission anyway. And so it's right to react against that. It's, it's a misrepresented submission. So I can understand that. We ought to react against false views of submission. But true submission also is hated. It, it is hated. It's hated because of something that happened to the human heart. Go over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. It never ceases to amaze me that we can go back 6,000 years ago and find the roots of the problems that we deal with even in our day and age today. Why submission hated? Genesis chapter 3 tells us. Notice what happened after the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. To the woman he said, I will great, greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain you will bring forth children, yet your, notice this word, desire, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What, what, what is the Lord talking about there? What does this word desire mean? Well, I think if we go over one more chapter, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, I think we get an answer. What is going on in Genesis chapter 4? Well, you have Cain. He brought an offering to the Lord. The Lord rejected his offering. God accepted Abel's uh, offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And Cain is not happy about that. Cain is very angry. And so the Lord here in Genesis 4, he is graciously reaching out to Cain. And listen to what he says to Cain. Look at verse 7. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now notice this, and its desire. You see that word there? Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Same Hebrew word used for desire in verse 7 as was used back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. So what is he saying in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16? Here's what I believe he's teaching. I think he's saying that due to sin, due to the effects of sin in the human heart, there is this resentment and there is this resistance concerning the headship of man. And so now 
the, the natural sinful response of the man. When you have the woman being resentful to his leadership, when you have the woman being resistant to his leadership, the natural lost, unsaved response and fleshly response even of believers is for the man to just pound his fist down and to just seek to rule his wife. This is what he wants to do. So that due to sin, you no longer have the wife joyfully, perfectly responding to the leadership of her husband. And due to sin, you no longer have a husband who joyfully and perfectly loves his wife in a sacrificial way. And so what do you have now because of sin? You have battle. You have war in the home. This is what you have. And this is not just between husbands and wives here, but, but if you look at just what goes on in the world in general, it is just between men and women in general. There just seems to be this battle here. And it's the corruption of submission. That is what it is. And the only way that 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 picture back in Genesis 2, the only way it can ever be restored, the only way that a man can truly love a wife the way he is supposed to, and the only way that a wife can truly respond to that in the way that she is supposed to is to have Christ. It is to have Christ. There must be salvation. The sin problem has to be dealt with. The heart of stone has to be taken out. The heart of flesh has to be put in. Sin must be forgiven. There must be reconciliation between sinful man and holy God. There must be new life given. There must be the person of Christ in the heart of man, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. This has to take place. And only after you have been made a new creation in Christ, and you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, can you have the desire to fulfill the Word of God? Only after that. And so only then will a husband treat his wife in a way that God designed. And only then will a wife respond to her husband in the way that God designed it. That's why Ephesians chapter 5 is speaking to believers. That's why Ephesians chapter 5 is speaking to Christians. As a matter of fact, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, that, that, that's why before he even gets into this relationship between husbands and wives, before he even does that, that's why he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. That means that you have to have the Holy Spirit. That means that you have to have Christ as your Savior. And even filled with the Holy Spirit, you and I must be reminded that, that we want to fall into the proper God-ordained rank and live out God's ordained roles for us, which is why we need the Word of God to tell us that. So the first thing we see here this morning is this. We see the responsibility given to the Christian wife. She is to be subject to her husband, not, not like a child is submissive to parents, not in losing her personality, not in turning a blind eye to her husband's sin, but she is to recognize his leadership joyfully. She, is wanting, she should be wanting to be supportive of that and to come alongside of him and help him in that. She is a helpmate to him. This is God's will. Now, let me ask you this question. Why? 
why would a wife want to live like that? Why, why would she want to live this out? And, and I love our God and I love his word. He doesn't just tell us what to do here. He gives us reasons. He gives us reasons. But before he gives us reasons, you know what he gives us? He gives us motivation. He gives us a motive. So second, I want you to see this. I want you to see the believing wife's motive. Her motive. Notice again verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now here's the motive. As to the Lord. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And really, if you look closely at this, he's really given us two motives here. Number one, look closely at what he says here. He's making the point that this husband of yours is your own. He's your own here. There's a mutual interdependence in this relationship. We could go back, we could look at 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about uh, how the wife's body does not belong to her. It belongs to her husband. How the husband's body does not belong to him. It belongs to his wife. And we belong to one another under the Lord Jesus Christ in authority. And so, and so wife realized something here. This is your own Husband. That's what he's saying here. This is your own husband. This is a gift from God to you. Now I know probably some of you thinking like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about the, the, the gift part, but he is. He is a gift from God to you, and he is your own husband. And so you ought to respond to him in the right way. Why? Because he's your own. He's not anyone else's husband. He is your own husband. And so that's one of the reasons here. But the larger reason here, here's the ultimate reason. Number two, you're to do this as to the Lord. You're to do this as to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, again, let's just begin by stating it negatively, okay? We're going to do the negative and then the positive. What it does not mean, what it does mean. What doesn't? What it does not mean. Ladies, it does not mean that you are to respond to your husband as if he's Jesus. It does not mean that. That's not what it means. Now, it has been misinterpreted that way sometimes. Submit to your husband as if he is the Lord here. But I want to tell you, that, that is not what that means. The submission... The submission of every Christian believer, male or female, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that is an absolute submission. That is an absolute submission. Why? We, we are his bond slaves. We are slaves of Christ. But listen, a wife is not a bond slave of her husband. A wife is not the slave of of her husband. So it doesn't mean to submit in the exact same way as we are to submit to Christ. It doesn't mean that. So what does it mean? Well, it means this is your Christian duty. It means that as a wife submits to her husband, it is an expression of her submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that it is part of your submission to Christ. Ladies, you cannot be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ if you are not submitted to your husband. I want to repeat that. You think your Christian life is going fine? You think you have a close walk with the Lord, but you're not submitted to your husband? That cannot happen. 
You cannot be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and at the same time not be submitted to the leadership of your husband in the home. What it means is that you're not ultimately doing it for your husband. In the final analysis here, you're doing it for your Lord. You're doing it for your Lord. Submit to your husband as submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the sense of it. You're to submit to Him. But ultimately, it's, it's not about your husband. It's, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what this says. As to the Lord. Submit to Him as to the Lord. You know that Jesus exhorts you to do this, and you know that it pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. You know this is the right thing to do in the sight of God here. And so therefore, as part of your Christian discipleship, as part of your Christian behavior, you submit yourself to your husband. And right away what this does, right away what this does, it, it, it lifts the entire subject out of the realm of controversy. It lifts the entire subject out of this sort of divisive uh, husband versus wife sort of party spirit. Because you see, ultimately, it's not about men and women, right? It's not about men versus women. It's about a woman and her Lord. That is what it's about. A woman and her Lord. A woman and the Lord Jesus Christ. That, women, is why you do it. That is why you do it. And what that means is this. You have an opportunity, ladies, and, and, and you've probably never had a better time, a better opportunity than the one you have now in our day and age and in our time. You never have a better opportunity, ladies, to show what it means to be a Christian woman, to really and truly show what that means. For a Christian woman to show, I'm no longer an unbeliever. I'm no longer a pagan that I do have reverence for God, that, that I do not belong to the world. And to be able to show that in such a way that you give clear demonstration of that by the way you relate to your husband. I am submitted to Christ. How do we know that, Christian ladies? How do we know you're submitted to Christ? Because, one example, I'm submitted to my husband. I'm submitted to my husband. As Christians, we're all different in all the details of our lives. And a Christian woman is different in this respect. She is submitted to her husband because she is, a submitted, she is submitted to the Lord. And I want to tell you this, ladies. If, if this motive does not move you to be submitted to your husband, there's no, no other motive that will do it. There's no other motive that will do it. I mean, I mean, you may find some reasons here and there to just sort of step down and be submitted to your husband, but I promise you, I promise you, those will ultimately wear off and that they will not last. They just won't last. Ultimately, if you're going to be submitted to your husband, Christian ladies, this is the reason why you will be submitted to your husband. Because you're doing it as unto the Lord. And if this does not move you to godly submission, I will tell you this, there's nothing that will move you to submission. Because if you don't care about the will and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't care about the honor of the Word of God, if this, there's not anything more important than that that will move you to be submitted to your husband and to live this out. That's why the Apostle Paul put the motive right where he did here. Look, Wasby subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. This is not the only place where this motive 
is laid out before us. Turn over for just a moment to Titus chapter 2. We already mentioned Titus chapter 2, but I want you to see this. Titus chapter 2, and look beginning in verse 3. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Now why? Why does he say to do this? Notice, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And how is the word of God dishonored when a wife is not subjected to her husband? It is dishonored directly by her because of her obedience to what the Word of God is teaching. But the Word of God is also dishonored indirectly in the sense that Christian homes fall apart. If you have a wife in a Christian home who is not submitted to her husband, that home will fall apart. And when that home falls apart, then the world can look upon that home and the world can mock the Word of God by saying, well, look at that home. That home is supposedly a Christian home, but it's not much different than our home, so therefore Christian homes are no different than lost people's homes. They're, they're, they're pretty much the same. So, so do you see it? We must live this out so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Look back in Ephesians 5 again. So what do we have? We have the, the, the Christian wife's responsibility, which is be subject to your own husbands. We have the Christian wife's motive as to the Lord. That's why you do this. Now we come to the third major thing we want to see, the last thing to see today. And I want you to see with me, number three, the believing wife's reasons, the reasons that he gives to her. And, and one of the things that the Lord does with us at it, it all just fill our hearts really with joy is that he treats us like spiritual adults, not spiritual children. And he, did, he doesn't just, just tell us to do something and he just leaves it that. No, he gives us reasons. He gives us reasons why we should do these things. And so he does that right here. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 23. For, or we could say because, so here, get ready, here it comes. Here comes the reason. For or because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, the next time we look at this, we're going to talk about next time Christ's relationship to the church. That's the second reason that he gives here, and we'll look at that next time. But today, in our time that we have remaining together, I just want you to notice the first reason, that the husband is the head of the wife. Ladies, this is why you should be subject to your husband. This says it right here. Look at it. The husband is the head of the wife. Why? Why is the husband the head of the wife? The answer is very simply this. It is due to God's creative choice. God's creative choice and order. In other words, just to... To put this as simply as I can, why is your husband the head of you? Very simply, it is this. God made it this way. 
God made it. This is God's decree. Very simply, this is God's will for your life. He made it this way. Listen, the Apostle Paul, it's not like the liberals say where the Apostle Paul, he just, he just pointed us to some cultural standard of the day there back in the ancient world. Now, that's not what is happening here. The Apostle Paul is not talking about the cultural standards of his day. No, the Apostle Paul is going to go all the way back to the beginning. He's going to go all the way back to Genesis for this. And again, Genesis is not the only place to see this. As a matter of fact, let me show you another place where we can see this. Go to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and look beginning in verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, because in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is going to take us back to Genesis. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, notice, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam. Now notice this, who was first, what does he say? created and then Eve and it was not Adam who was deceived but the woman being deceived fell into transgression but the woman will be pre preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint now we don't have time today to get and into all of this what this deals with although I, w I wish we could it is so rich here but the thing that I want you to see here is that he bases his argument not on what is going on in culture, as liberals will say, well, this is, was Paul's culture. It's not our culture today, so we don't have to give any thought to it. No, he doesn't base this on the cultural day of what was going on in Ephesus here, not to defend some type of cultural standard that they had with men and women. No, he takes the matter all the way back to creation, and he bases it squarely and soundly on God's creative will that man was made first and then the woman so so there is a natural creation priority that is given to the man man was created to be in a position of leadership man was created to be in a position of authority and i'll say it to you this way again i know i know i'm being very unpopular but i trust that according to the word of god that i'm i'm being very truthful here today but, but we can say based upon the word of God, man was made to be the strong one. The strong one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to this. Again, this accords perfectly with everything we've been seeing in the word of God. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman man is physically stronger than woman he was meant to be she is meant to be different by, by design by God's design now I grant you uh, there are probably some women who could take us guys you know but just generally speaking here man was made to be the strong one man was made to be the strong one and folks I'm telling you this we, we are under a satanic attack in this area you know what Satan 
Satan doesn't mind admitting, okay, yeah, there has to be a masculine and there has to be a feminine. He doesn't mind that at all. What he wants to do is he wants to reverse the two. He wants to reverse the two. And we are living in a day when, when men are insulted and men are taken to task for being masculine. And women are glorified for being masculine. And listen, I want to tell you this. The first sin that was ever created in the universe, it was a role reversal. That's what it was. Satan went to the woman, and the man abdicated his responsibility. And what happened? The fall occurred. It was a role reversal. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, had a great observation on this point. He said this, quote, Here then is the basic fundamental teaching. The man is to be the head of the wife, and he is to be the head of the family. God made him that way, endowed him with faculties and powers and propensities that enable him to fulfill this, and so made woman that she should be the complement of man. End quote. Now that word he uses, complement, that, that right there in itself carries the, the, the notion of submission. Her, her, her main function is to, to, to make up the deficiency that's in man. So, so that God just blends our lives together in such a way in which, the, in which where the man is strong, the wife is weak, and he is a strength to her. And then where you have the man, and, and he, he lacks in certain areas, well, she has those areas. And so in that regard, she is a strength to him. And she comes in there, and she helps him, and listen, Here's the word, and together, together they accomplish God's purpose for their lives. That is God's design. That is God's will. That is what God intended when it comes to husbands and wives. So what is this really all about? It's not so much about the authority of husbands, really, when it comes right down to it. It's about the authority of God. Will Christian women submit to the authority of God? And if they will submit to the authority of God, they will carry out God's plan for Christian wives and Christian husbands, and they will submit to the headship and the authority that God has given to their husbands. So that is the question this morning. Taking... Your husband out of the equation, Christian wives. Here's the question for you. Do you respect God's authority? And do you respect God's order? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that it is the truth. And Father, we pray that you would help us to, in humble submission, to receive your word. By your Holy Spirit, may you empower the Christian ladies, the Christian women in this place. May you empower these sweet women to be and to do all that you have called them to be and to do, all that you have commanded them to be and to do. And Father, when we see that lived out in this place, in the relationship between Christian wives and their husbands, May we be very, very quick to give you all the praise and the glory for it because we know you are doing this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's by grace through faith that ye are saved A faith that's not your own Not of works, lest any man should boast It is the gift of God The gift of God to you